the lady of the house at home. Oh. Hello, and this is Yawa She Said, coming to you from Calgary, also known as Mokinsis, which is Treaty 7 land, also home to the Métis Region 3. We went to a march, the March for Choice and Reproductive Justice. You can find them on Facebook. They were a great group of people. They brought some activists and local Calgarians to talk about their search for justice within reproduction. Um, we are your, your humble organizers. <laughs> and I just want to say, um, uh, to recognize the land is an expression of gratitude and appreciation for those whose territory you reside on. And a uh, way of honoring the First Nations people who have been living and working on the land from time immemorial. It is important to understand the long-standing history that has brought you to reside on the land and to seek understanding your place within that history. Land acknowledgments do not exist in past tense or historical context. Colonialism is current ongoing process and needs and we need to build our mindfulness of our present, our present participation. Uh, acknowledging the land is, is indigenous protocol. The Blackfoot, Gane, and Stony people have been here long before Alberta, Canada were established. Our languages, culture, traditions, civil law precedes colonialization. Our history with this land predates 150 years. With that, we'd like to recognize the Sisuka, uh, Ganai, Bukuni, Tsitsina, and Stony Nakoda nations. Treaty 7 is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. And don't forget, this weekend was also the Indigenous Persons Weekend, and there's still events happening. And without further ado, I'll bring up uh, Wendy. So, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to the organizers, Hi, Linda, uh, for uh, putting this up and for all of you for coming and standing in the rain. Uh, it just really, truly shows your commitment and your belief to uh, women's rights and um, and that those rights are important rights and that women's rights are everybody's rights. So normally I would have a drum with me, uh, but because of the weather, I have to say my drum's flat. I tried to tune it up in my Jeep by putting some heat on it, but it went flat right away. And skin drums don't do well in, in this. So one of the things the BC people taught me is that wherever we go, we always have a drum with us. And so for those of you who are not carrying a sign or those of you who want to, so I'm, I'm just trying to gosh, Oh, I like that. Sorry. So I'm reading signs as I'm talking, and there was like a certain word that caught my attention. I was like, oh, okay. So the BC people taught me that wherever we go, we always have a drum with us. And so if you would join me this morning, as soon as I find that. Kind of like this. So if you, no, it's not a clap. You're not clapping. Yeah, you're doing that. Like this, yeah. If we do this, like I'm a clapping, right? Then people really speed up and then they get going, right? But when we do it this way, it helps to keep it on time. So I'm just going to start a little bit. And then when I start, please join in and drum with me. And we'll, uh, we'll let our drums be known to the city of Calgary. Wahiyah, <laughs> yo. 
song for all you incredible women out there and your and the incredible men who have come to stand with us today for all of you. Meet the Kayo Yasin, Hai Hai My name's Morningstar Shkakagin, and I am currently the scientific director at Awutan Healing Lodge Society. Prior to that, I worked as a scientist with Alberta Health Services and Strategic Clinical Networks, and as the director for Indigenous Health at Alberta Health Services. I cannot tell you how important the reproductive health of as, as, as is for Indigenous women, especially because there are a number of obstacles that we face as an Indigenous women. One of which is most important is seeking and learning the truth, especially for us as Indigenous women. Our knowledge of our traditional ways and access to health and even access to our elders has been compromised by colonialism and invented traditions and or reinvented traditions. So it's really difficult for us to know and understand what is truth anymore about our reproductive health. But I'll just say, traditionally in, in Indigenous communities, matters pertaining to women have always been the business of women. All decisions concerning a woman's reproductive health were left up to her as an individual and her decision was respected. Oftentimes, a woman would turn to other women within her society for advice, mentoring and assistance concerning reproductive health. Within traditional societies and languages, there is no word that is equivalent to abortion. However, traditional elders knowledgeable about reproductive health matters would refer to a woman's knowing which herbs and medicines would be used to make her moon time come or her period. 
in many First Nations, it was frowned upon, for example, to have another baby before your other baby could walk and talk and run by itself. And so there were forms of reproductive health and, and controlling those things. Um, Indigenous women, though, with these medical knowledges such as these, were considered great threats to the Canadian project of replacing Indigenous governance structures. And so the men now who speak um, with those governance structures, who claim to speak for us, um, often merely uphold the silencing of our voices and in the attempt to control our bodies. And what this has resulted in is a lot of shaming shaming for Indigenous women, not just about our sexuality, but in terms of how we have babies, when we have babies, and constantly living in fear of being judged for being pregnant or having the right to choose not to be pregnant. So today, Indigenous women, we're no longer free to make decisions concerning our reproductive health and rights. Instead, these decisions are regulated by the federal government and by legislation that limits the reproductive health services, which are provided by the First Nations Inuit Health Branch and Health Canada. And so our access to health rights is not the same as other Canadians. It's very dependent on whether or not you're a status Indian, registered Indian, living on reserve, off reserve, in the city, Métis, First Nations. So it's dependent on a number of factors as to whether or not you gain access to certain health services. Um, and so, one of the things as Indigenous women in the prairies, we often know how governments block access to the most basic reproductive health care for which we have always had rights and freedoms. And so while it's widely understood that the issue of abortion legality is no longer up for public discussion in Canadian governments, it's incorrect to believe that we're all sorted in Indigenous communities when it comes to the issues of access to reproductive health care. Indigenous women, especially those living on reserve, face immense barriers to accessing basic health care and yes access to abortions is a necessary part of basic health of a health care package that we deserve the violation of indigenous freedoms regarding reproductive health care in the prairies is nothing new and was a key method in the attempt of the destruction of indigenous nations from the stealing of our children when they in residential schools and that continued on through the 60s scoops and forced sterilization since the 1930s which continues to this day just in October, this past October, a lawsuit was filed by two Indigenous women who experienced coerced sterilization after giving birth at Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon without giving proper and informed consent. At the time of filing, at least 20 women from various regions across Saskatchewan have signed on. Another issue that's come recent into the media attention, which happens here frequently in Alberta as well, are birth alerts. The Prairie government say they will continue to track or seize at-risk babies despite a call to stop from the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. The inquiry's final report recommends governments and child welfare agencies immediately abandon what are known as birth or hospital alerts. Imagine being tracked throughout your pregnancy, mostly for no other reason than being Indigenous, and then giving birth in fear knowing your child will likely be apprehended before you can breastfeed your child for the first time. Among the calls for justice in the final report of the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls are a handful that urge everyone to become allies, to combat racism and to break down barriers. One of the easiest ways you can do this is by reading the report and having table discussions with your allies. I can tell you this, as an Indigenous person, I've been a freedom fighter my whole life. That's the way I was brought up and raised. One of our most important issues are water rights and the climate change that is happening. We have to make this place a healthy place for our children to thrive 
and for those that are not born are yet to be born. And one of the things I bring up is allyship because I can tell you the biggest changes that have ever happened in Canadian history have been because you and I have worked together, not because Indigenous people went on their own and decided to go make a protest and stand somewhere. It was always because we had other Canadians join us and that seems like it's the only time that we're listened to. Maybe one day, and I hope sometime I, I get to see that in my generation, it won't take having to have allies of other nations. It'll take indigenous people themselves to be able to be empowered and recognize that our voices are heard. For now though, our voices are not heard as indigenous people. We are the most underheard people in the Canadian society here in this nation. We need your help to help make our voices heard until the time comes when you and other Canadians will finally recognize that we do have voices. I say this and this is most important. Nature is my best enemy. She is also my best savior. If we follow nature, believe me, I think we'll all have a chance. You're listening to Yeah What She Said. For the month of July on Yeah What She Said, we are talking about reproductive justice. These are some activist stories and speeches from the March for Choice and Reproductive Justice that happened June 23rd in Calgary. Take a listen. For those who don't know me, my name is Adora Wolfor, and um, thank you. I'm... Thank you, I love you too. Um, I wanted to start off by thanking Wendy uh, because I could not keep beat to that bell. Right? That's amazing. Um, and Nicole, how do I, what do I say after that? Because I feel like that was a lot of stuff. And I hope we all uh, take that and process it and then start to apply it so we can make some changes. Because you can't follow that, I'm, I'm going to talk about myself because that's what I know about the most. Um, I'm born, raised, and still living the racism dream in Calgary. And uh, my reproductive rights have been violated time and time and time again. So I had the cyst the size of a grapefruit in my uterus burst. I had laparoscopic surgery until today. Nobody has told me what was wrong. They told me I wasn't going to get pregnant. And I was on birth control, and then guess what? I got knocked out. So I had that baby because I thought having an abortion was wrong. I'm going to say it out loud because we're all here for abortion rights, but I'm pretty sure that we've all been told it was wrong. So I thought it was wrong, but I also knew that that's what I wanted to do, so I did. And then I got the shot, right? That because you shouldn't get pregnant. I was pregnant within eight months, and I was breastfeeding. And that baby was non-viable, so I had my first abortion. Uh, and it was horrific. It was awful. I was bawling. I was like, what's wrong with my body? And nothing was wrong with my body. That baby had lived its course. For everybody who thinks it's a baby, that's the lifespan that that baby was supposed to have. So if I chose to have an abortion after that, that's the lifespan. That's it. For everybody who believes that, that all those cells together is a heartbeat, not everybody lives the same life course. So after that, I got a specialist gynecologist because I kept getting pregnant. 
19 kids and counting could be me, but I wouldn't get a show. Because eugenics. Because they didn't want me to have babies. Because they found out how to do abortions by doing them on a body that looks like mine. And they gave us no pain medication. They thought that we didn't have feelings because we weren't human. And if we're not human, then why do you care about our babies? So we have been monitored always. We know that. This body gets to be monitored. And when they legislate your body, they legislate your freedom. So it doesn't matter if they're legislating you to have abortions, to be sterile, or to not have abortions. I continued my journey with birth control. We have a hate-hate relationship because NuvaRing produced two babies. I have twins. Yay! When do I get to sue these uh, companies? These, what, 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 what word am I looking for? No, the people that make medicine. Drug pharmaceuticals. Because they lied to me over and over and over again. And you know what happened? I had to restart my life over and over again. But I'm going to end on this story. I found out that I was pregnant with twins at the clinic. Because they give you an ultrasound. Because what? You didn't know that you were pregnant? But they gave me this ultrasound and they said, by law, we have to tell you it's two babies. And I started bawling. Uh, because my mom's a twin and my dad's a twin. And Nigerians have the highest incidence of multiples in the world. And I, you don't know I'm Nigerian. <laughs> so I just keep having babies. Excuse me. I just keep getting pregnant. And I get to decide how many babies I have or don't have. Always. Because this body is important. Now I love my children, but the plan was zero babies. And if I had had that chance to make that plan without judgment, maybe I wouldn't be here. Maybe I'd be dead. Maybe a lot of things, but that's my choice. And I have now made my choice. And I love those children, but no more babies. And if somebody makes it so that I can't have another abortion, I'm burning the place down. Because I get to decide, always, only. You don't get to use this body against other people. And let me tell you, if a man with a uterus wants to have a baby, off. If somebody does not want to have any children, off. And when you want to do what you want to do, I'm going to f*** off. My name's Adorno for Thank you for listening. You are listening to audio recorded at the Rally for Choice and Reproductive Justice, which was held here in Calgary on June 23rd of this year. And that pitter-patter sound that you can hear in the background is the rain, which, as you can also hear, did not dampen the spirits of those attending the rally or the passion of those who are speaking. And you're listening to this on Yeah What She Said on CGSW 90.9 FM. My name is Keely, 
and I am a white, bisexual, cisgender female. My pronouns are she, her. I have zero desire to pass on my bloodline or to bring a child into this world that is literally burning down around us. I choose not to have children for many reasons. With that decision firmly in mind, I went to my doctor a few years ago and asked about surgery options. I didn't ever want to have to worry about any oopsie pregnancies and to make my life easier without worrying about condoms or contraceptives. I was lucky. My doctor was immediately supportive when I told her, although she did warn me that I would have to be persistent and determined to defend my choice with multiple doctors until someone would agree to perform the procedure. I was lucky. I had a friend refer me to an amazing doctor who didn't question my decision, my age, or my sexuality. I was skeptical as he was a middle-aged white dude, but all he did was sit me down and give me a variety of options. I was lucky. I had a job that provided me with medical coverage for some of the medication that was required for the surgery that I wanted. I was lucky. My surgery was performed legally, quickly, and by skilled doctors in the room. My doctor also came in on his day off to help me when I was worried about a complication. I was lucky. I was able to have both of my tubes removed and my uterine lining burned out without any barriers, hurdles, or questions. I was one of the lucky ones. And this should be the case for everyone, regardless of gender, color, sexual organs, or your ability or desire to reproduce. But sadly, we can't all say that. Many other people have the same desire with drastically different results. We shouldn't have to be lucky to do what we want with our bodies. I hear so many other people, both with and without kids, who tried to get the same procedure done and were turned away for reasons such as your partner might want more kids, or you'll change your mind one day, or you're too young to know what you want. We shouldn't have to be lucky. The decision to put myself through surgery was not taken lightly at any point. So why are you questioning what, I want, what I'm telling you that I want? Why does it matter if my partner does want kids? It's my body, not theirs. And if they want kids and I don't, well, then perhaps I should be with someone who wants the same things as me. We all have people in our life that try to push us to do something that we don't want to do, and that includes having kids. When I told others about my surgery, some of them got physically angry with me that I was completely removing that option for myself. Regardless of what people say, it is your body, your choice. And that means having access to these procedures in a legal and safe environment, free of hassle from protesters and bigots, these people are not pro-life simply because they don't give a f about that baby once it's born. Kids are an expensive and lifelong commitment and it's perfectly all right to decide that you do or don't want kids at this time or never. But the choice is yours. And that's why we're here today, to fight for that right to decide for ourselves, to do what we want with our own bodies and to make sure that we don't have to be lucky to be able to access these facilities in a safe and legal way. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. My body, my choice. My name is Leah. My pronouns are she, her. I want to talk about my experience with sex education. I graduated high school just two years ago, so everything I'm about to tell you is fairly recent. We'll start approximately 15 years ago. When I was about four years old, 
I started asking my mom questions about my body, and she rented a 30-minute VHS tape from the library called Where Did I Come From? Uh, considering it's a movie made in 2002 based on a book from 1973, it's actually a decent source of education for children. I mean, the ovum and sperm dance number is not exactly realistic. But it kept me entertained as a child. I definitely would not call it quality, inclusive, medically accurate sexual education, but it was better than nothing. In the fourth grade, my teacher, who was not trained to teach sexual health, sat myself and my classmates in front of a television, you know, those ones you wheeled into the classroom, and played a film about reproductive systems in the body. I don't remember much about the tape itself, but I do remember that since this was at the end of the year, we only had time to watch the video about the female system and not about the male system. At the time, I was relieved that I didn't have to hear about boys and their cooties, but I know now that I missed out on a large part of the education that I deserved. In junior high, the class was split into boys and girls. For about half of the short time we spent learning sex ed, we were separated, or at least, those of us whose parents signed the consent form were. I thought it was odd that some of my friends got to opt out of this particular class. They didn't get to choose whether or not to learn about World War II or natural selection. Why was sex ed any different? So we were separated. This might not seem like a huge deal, but it affects students. Being separated teaches kids that they don't need to learn about other sexes. It enables confusion, misinformation, and shame, not to mention the fact that it completely neglects trans, non-binary, and intersex students. This kind of separation is what leads to people thinking ridiculous things like the clitoris isn't real, or men think about sex every seven seconds. So sometimes we did have our lessons together. One of the exercises we did as a full class was a matching game. We were given cards with things that happened during puberty written on them, and then we had to decide and guess which things boys experienced, girls experienced, and both experienced. Masturbation was on the boys-only side. Mood swings was on the girls-only side. I remember being taught about STIs, unplanned pregnancy, and all the other dangers of sex. I remember being taught that abstinence was the only viable option. I do not remember being taught about queer bodies or relationships, about deciding when and what I'm ready for. I do not remember being taught about pleasure. It's sad that by the time I was 13, the best education I had received regarding my body came from that old VHS tape. But not all is lost. When I took comm class in high school, I was relieved to learn that my sex ed teacher wasn't also the gym teacher. <laughs> but in fact a sexual educator from the Sexual Health Center, now known as the Center for Sexuality. She was, the, she was amazing, and the class was the best and most informative sex ed class I'd ever been a part of. We learned about consent, safer sex, abortion, healthy relationships, queer people. Those of us who were comfortable even got wooden models painted with rainbows or flowers or Batman to practice putting condoms on properly. Our instructor was also careful to avoid gendered language. Women became people with uteruses, and boyfriend or girlfriend became partner. I remember her pulling out an anonymous question that a student had submitted, reading, is it okay to be gay? And she said yes. I remember thinking, finally, finally I can ask all the awkward sex questions that no one else wants to answer. Finally, I can rely on an expert instead of an internet Q&A forum. Finally, I can learn. 
we need more education like the kind I received in high school, and we need to get rid of the low-quality, ill-informed, incomplete, abstinence-centered education I received as a child. Everybody should know what their body parts look like, what they do, and what they're called. Everybody should understand consent. Everybody should know their options when it comes to sex, pregnancy, STIs, and relationships. Everybody should know where babies come from. Everybody should know that it's okay to be gay, bisexual, asexual, trans, any other orientation or gender. Everybody should receive inclusive, shame-free, medically accurate sexual education. Thank you for having me and thank you for letting me share. Thank you to all of the activists and people who went out to the March for Choice and Reproductive Justice in Calgary on June 23rd. It was a great afternoon. If you are thinking that you need some support, check out their page on Facebook. Again, March for Choice and Reproductive Justice. And also take a look at some of the activists. They have really great insight into these topics and also know that it's your body it's your choice and thank you for listening to yeah what she said to melt without a trace what makes you think you can mess with us as if we had no rights try it and you'll fail in two million fights that's how many of us there are we're mothers sisters Aunts and daughters kicking up a fuss. Your wishes end today. There's no more to discuss.